Hello, and welcome to another edition of Stronger, Smarter Together. I'm Ann Stevenson, your City Council candidate for Bordeaux-Damon. Today, we're delving into climate change with Shafraz Kaba and talking about what we can do as a city to make our communities more resilient now and in the future. Climate change is a complex topic and one that can feel overwhelming at times. But we're lucky in Edmonton to have a range of people working on solutions to guide us through the challenges ahead. One of these individuals is Shafraz Kaba. Shafraz was a practicing architect for 20 years, but was facing increasing climate anxiety. He decided to channel this energy into action and founded Ask for a Better World, where he works with clients to create net zero energy, carbon reducing, and regenerative projects using integrated project delivery, lean culture, and design thinking. He also acts as co-chair of Edmonton's Energy Transition and Climate Resiliency Committee of Council, where he's helping the whole city realize a more sustainable future. I've had the pleasure of working with Shafraz on a number of projects, including an exciting initiative to add new affordable housing units to an existing church property, while also undertaking a deep energy retrofit of the existing church. We've also been working together as part of the U of A's Affordable Housing Solutions Lab over the past eight months, which has explored a range of initiatives to reduce the cost of housing for all Edmontonians. I'm so impressed by Shafraz's vision, knowledge, and leadership, and I'm so pleased to be speaking with him today. I just want to start with with something really basic, which is how, you know, you're sort of known, renowned in Edmonton for being a climate change activist and actor and, and making huge change. How did you get involved? Um, well, that's an interesting way to put it. I, I, I would uh, have to say, um, as an architect, I naturally got involved in the climate discussion because sustainable buildings have been a large part of my career and interest and and even study. So um, my master's thesis talked about how to um, not dump wastewater into the Halifax Harbor and how to process it into ways that are useful for people and healthier for the environment and, and obviously the ecosystem. So it was natural to start um, my, my actual architectural career in a sustainable design office and uh, learn a lot from from that experience way back in the well when I started at Manask Isaac it was the year 2000 so (laughs) over 20 years ago so um, ever since then uh, knowing how big of an impact buildings and the urban kind of systems are to um, climate and carbon it, it sort of, uh, I guess, deepened my climate anxiety more and more year after year as we, we really aren't moving fast enough. So mm. this is a way I can, um, I, I guess, alleviate that anxiety, but also try and help my colleagues and our industry do a little bit better. Well, I, I really love that perspective. And, you know, I think such an important message is that as we all are feeling heightened anxiety, uh, you know, especially with the the recent weather patterns we've been seeing, it is that idea that we can do something with that energy, that we can um, take take that worry and transform it into positive action. Um, and, you know, and, and one of, you know, the, the biggest things that you've been involved with or, or channeled that energy towards 
is Edmonton's Energy Transition and Climate Resiliency Committee of Council. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, what what the committee's purpose was and and your involvement on the on the board? Sure. Um, City Council as a whole uh, struck this committee uh, for them to seek input and advice from industry experts on energy transition, climate action, even a just and equitable transition. Um, and it includes uh, everything from climate mitigation to now we're seriously talking adaptation. As, as you said, uh, we're now experiencing the smoky summers or the heat waves that have been modeled and uh, just the very bizarre, unpredictable weather. So our committee actually um, is given an opportunity to review lots of city policies and directions and projects uh, that have an impact and provide sort of, a, uh, I guess, a, a comment on how it could be improved or how it could be tweaked or, or how even um, uh, other ideas could come into to play for them. And this includes everything from the new city plan uh, to how Blatchford is developing, to how uh, we're doing a mode shift of transportation. So it's it's almost a, a really neat insight into all the things the city can and should do for climate action. You know, and again, when I when I start to feel anxious or or overwhelmed by the challenge, I find it really reassuring to know that we actually have we have a plan. We have, we have, you know, a really thorough um, document, our energy transition strategy and action plan. And, you know, I think, I think the work is so comprehensive and just really, really clearly lays out uh, what it is we need to be doing as a city. Uh, and maybe for those folks who are listening, who, who aren't as familiar with the strategy, a quick way to break it down, there's sort of these four areas. There's transportation in urban form, uh, buildings, energy systems, and then carbon capture, natural sinks and offsets. And I know, I know you've said in the past how, you know, there's no silver bullet. We have to be doing all of these things. There's, there's, no, there's no priorities. Uh, it's just all of them and they all have to be happening. But I'm curious on your perspective, you know, having worked uh, on a council committee, where do you think uh, city councillors in particular can be most effective? Oh boy. Um... <laughs> to be honest, uh, I think the the city council and the mayor need to really start to communicate our climate emergency in a real and significant way. Uh, we've declared a climate emergency and we've created these four different pathways as part of the community energy transition strategy and action plan. Um, the For me, frankly, the challenge is we have put off any of the budget implication or um, rollout of these actions for the next budget cycle and then it, it sort of makes me wonder well are we in a climate emergency <laughs> shouldn't we uh, pulling out all the stops to be able to get uh, a little bit more uh, traction on some of the very critical things so we still you know, we can move on them right away. So I understand um, it takes time to shift 
and enable certain things to to take place at 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 the city, especially at the administration. Um, but it it actually for me needs to uh, have city council demonstrate its leadership by really speaking to the public, its citizens about the emergency, how we're really going to act on it, and start to really talk uh, significantly and and um, in a, a way that prepares citizens to, to sort of do what they can and to start to shift uh, their behaviors to be able to, to you know, adapt to this changing climate. Mm, yeah, I mean, so many, so many interesting threads there um, that, that I want to follow up. So, so you mentioned budgets. I think that's, that's so important uh, and absolutely you know the budgets is where is where the the rubber hits the road, and you can really tell what the priorities are when when you look at those budgets. And there's there's talk in the strategy to, uh, around evaluation, uh, but it's like it's like you know a very sparse page of uh, information about how how the action plan is actually going to be evaluated and monitored. And, you know, something that really stood out to me as well is that the expectation is that each year administration will prepare a report about, uh, you know, the progress made on each of those actions. It seems to me, too, that there's a really important role for evaluating council's own actions and decisions. And I don't know that administration is necessarily best placed to do that. Uh, it seems like we maybe need an independent group uh, being able to say, hey, council, of the three dozen decisions you made uh, in this time period, here's here's where you were and here's where you weren't meeting that climate change mark. Yeah, for sure. Uh, part of that is our role as a committee of council when we provide our annual report to city council to say, hey, here's, here's a retrospective on the year. Here's mm -hmm. where we did well. And frankly, here are some of the things that have not quite worked out or, or need a little bit more push. So I think um, some of our voices will be a little becoming louder and stronger as we go forward. And one of the tools um, the city is going to implement is a carbon budget and a carbon accounting process as part mm -hmm. of their actual decision making. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that will be extremely important in how we evaluate our progress. Because right now, if I can, can put numbers out there, we have a carbon budget of 135 megatons of carbon dioxide to use between now and 2050. But at our current rates of emission, we're gonna run out of that in less than a decade. Mm. So we really, really need to rein in um, our emissions in any and all ways possible. Hmm. Yeah, you know, that idea of setting, setting the budget for a specific time period, that's a really powerful way to make sure that we're not just putting off those decisions for later. Um, we have this budget, we can't burn through it, uh, you know, in the next 10, if we need it for another 30. So yeah, I agree. I'm really excited by the policy in the city plan that says that our decisions have to take into account our, our carbon budget. I think that's going to be really powerful when we're looking at particularly land use decisions at the city council level and, and how, you know, new developments do or don't uh, help us reach our, our budgeted goal. 
totally and that year over year tracking is is going to be uh extremely important as as you know there there is probably um a year over year scolding of <laughs> we're not actually meeting uh the actual paris agreement targets um mm. and how can we do better and um we we have done a lot and as uh, you can imagine in this last year alone everything from bus routes to how we deal with garbage uh and and then the pandemic itself has really radically shifted some of the operations but i think we have to uh prepare ourselves for even more shift and change mm. well you know another piece that you picked up on was the role that council plays in communicating the importance uh and the emergency of climate change that's another thing that really strikes me about the action plan is that you know there are many things within the city's control that, that the action plan outlines but there's also an expectation that that Edmonton as a whole and and private industry and private citizens are also making some pretty significant changes so again any thoughts on how city council can really lead that change and and help other groups and individuals and and industries uh work towards that same goal um well there there's some change that can be done in how we deal with certain policies and procedures that can enable faster adoption for example i would really love to advocate and see city council say we're going to put all emission neutral buildings or net zero energy buildings to the front of the line on permitting and that process mm. um and it's it's kind of helpful to signal that that's sort of what is going to get prioritized because right. right now i think that's been a, one really big critique of um the development process is things take forever <laughs> and approvals and especially um trying to densify and create infill in our city it's it's there's lots of barriers and roadblocks um so city council and particularly the mayor need to start to say look we're we want to uh, unleash sort of the industry potential and innovation and action on this and here's how we're going to do it um so i i i think just like we've seen in the pandemic you know our uh, leaders of public health would do daily announcements of covid numbers or mm -hmm. how how well the um you know transmissibility rate is is doing we we need to have almost daily climate action <laughs> um updates to say okay here's here's what we're doing here's how the carbon um sort of emissions have reduced and we're on the downward trend we're not uh increasing so it'd be really great mm. to start to again uh act like we're in a, a climate emergency and start to speak to it and and encourage people where we're going in the right direction by doing the right things you know we've talked about the emergency we've talked about the imperative of taking action but you know you also mentioned that that innovation and that potential uh to unleash and so you know i feel like every time we talk about the emergency the climate emergency it's also about talking about the opportunity um and uh you know just so many different industries uh so much employment so much uh community wellness can really be sparked by these these climate change interventions that need to happen so i wanted to end by asking 
you know, what do we have to be hopeful for? What do you see uh, that, you know, hopefully reduces some of the anxiety, but, but maybe even creates that excitement um, for, for what's coming? Yeah. Well, for me, Edmonton is actually a right-sized city, right? Um, we, we're not super big like, mm. the, you know, 20 million plus of population. And we're not super small. We're, we're this right size city that is attractive in that we have the space uh, internally to grow. Like, I don't, I'm not advocating suburban growth. I'm advocating we have space within our city to densify in a smart, gentle way. We have uh, industries that are leading edge in terms of net zero energy buildings, as well as uh, the energy industry itself, like with emerging hydrogen ideas, the emerging um, ways to try to capture carbon and uh, figure out smarter solutions rather than emitting it. And we have this amazing ribbon of green in our river valley that's a carbon sink that mm. our uh, energy transition strategy suggests to add uh, a couple million more trees to it. So there, there's so many ideas and so much um, opportunity. And what we've told city council, as well as anyone who'd listen, is the pandemic, as well as our emergency, has shown um, there are ways to mitigate uh, health issues by doing building retrofits. If you do building retrofits, you leverage local industry and expertise to make healthier buildings. Healthier buildings make buildings less, uh, uh, I guess, COVID uh, likely to, to spread because of better ventilation systems. All of these things add to an economic activity or stimulus. So what we want to really uh, show is that the, there's an economic opportunity in solving both pandemic and climate crises. And it's been talked about in sort of the, the green economy or the you know um, transition. And that's really where um, we have a lot of uh, potential and a lot of ability to diversify our industries and our economy to help create climate solutions as well as pandemic solutions. So we all need to pair that together um, and always say, okay, moving forward, is is this any any and all decisions our city has to make has to become sort of that is it going to be better for our uh environment our climate um and our health i love that idea and I think you're so right that it's it's not about solving one problem. It's really it's really additive. There's a multiplication of value that happens in our society on the economic, on the social, and on the environmental level. Yeah, they're all multipliers to the solution. So, and it's breaking down the siloing of those uh, of those problems. So, thinking a little bit of breaking those silos and breaking down. Um, those barriers that limit the, that, the innovation and the, the opportunity. That's such a great point and something that I really advocate for as well when it comes to budgeting too. And again, I think that's such an important message for city council as we're looking at budgets. Sometimes the cost of climate change mitigation or adaptation seems so high, but if we can really capture what that's saving us elsewhere, um, and how that's multiplying through the economy, uh, you know, the the case for it is just so clear. 
I, I don't know if people recognize Alberta has been the, the province with the three highest insurance claims in 2020. So over uh, a $1.2 billion of insurance claims. That's what's, that's wow. high. Like the cost <laughs> of not doing climate action and climate mitigation and adaption is really going to pay dividends if, if we can do them well. Uh, the cost of not doing them is going to make that insurance number even more higher. Like what scares me is Alberta itself has been the, the center of floods in Calgary and Fort McMurray and fires in Slave Lake and Fort McMurray and ridiculous hailstorms, mostly in Calgary. And in Calgary alone, uh, the hailstorms last year was a quarter of a billion dollars alone in, in just hail damage. So we cannot afford as, as citizens to be uh, paying these out and uh, it'll either show up in our insurance premiums or in the, the lack of insurability eventually. And so um, governments usually come to the rescue of natural disasters and pay out people who have lost their homes or need to find emergency location. So the cost of not um, doing more is really, uh, it, it's like, we, we, have to, we have to do as much as we can now because, um, frankly, uh, what, what is the cost of clean air to breathe? Or what is the cost of clean water mm. or, or a healthy environment? It, it's almost uh, priceless. It is priceless, frankly, because uh, I, I don't want to go through yet another summer of smoky air and having to stay inside because I can't go out on a kayak on the river or bike in the valley so mm. we have to really think of the bigger greater picture so you're you're right Jafraz. like if we look at the costs at a systemic level it's it's so clear that there's so much money to be saved through being proactive with climate change uh, but even for individual homeowners you know even just looking at the cost of water um you know i know you have a garden and you've probably been doing everything you can to keep it thriving during this heat yeah, absolutely. And I also have rain barrels that are bone dry at the moment because we haven't had any rain to fill them up. So I, I fear about what the cost of my water bill will be as I have to water every day. They keep sort of our vegetable garden and our uh, permaculture landscape kind of going. Um, mo most of it is fairly drought tolerant, but, um, you know, uh, a lot of the, the things that I, I grow for our, our home aren't. <laughs> and and I, I just hope that people recognize that climate action is about also helping them out on the long term and in, in ensuring they have a viable, clean, and, and probably inexpensive water supply. But the uh, cost of water will become ever more increasing if we don't think about how climate impacts that. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting for a lot of people, there seems to be a moment where climate change becomes viscerally real for them. So, you know, for many, it was those really, really smoky summers and orange skies we had a couple of years ago. Um, you know, for others, it's this heat right now. For me, you know, despite 
caring and, and working towards climate change for decades, a really visceral moment for me was a presentation that you gave uh, sharing that, you know, Edmonton's climate uh, is going to turn into Calgary's. <laughs> and I hate, I hate Calgary's climate. Uh, it's so dry and so yellow and seeing all the yellow lawns this summer is really making that, that hit home in terms of um, the reality of it, the reality of what's potentially coming. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the city has done a lot of climate modeling. And again, we are expecting hotter, drier summers. And uh, with with these spikes of uh, intense uh, thunder and rainstorms. So it's sort of, we're going to get it all eventually. And we're seeing that now with the, the dry um, summer we're experiencing. And the, yes, that's, uh, it's, it is scary that the modeling shows that um, the climate of Southern Alberta slowly inches up North uh, and is going to overtake us. And yeah, if we actually don't do enough, we will turn into sort of a very arid grassland and we will lose the trees we have because mm -hmm. the trees won't have enough water to survive. And that's what's um, frightening is that that's our biggest asset, the river valley and this ribbon of green that goes through it and the trees that make it lovely and beautiful and lush. So mm. we, I think that's that's something, again, city council can start to communicate. It's like, if we want to protect the things we love about this place, we need to move faster on these mm. things. It's so true. And uh, there is so much we can lose and also so much we can gain through uh, taking action now. Uh, and that's, again, what really excites me is we we have clarity of what needs to happen, and now we just need to make it so. Totally. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. It's just always great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be on your podcast. Stronger, Smarter Together is produced and edited by Bryn Brattenwall. Music is by Chloe Albert, and artwork is by Joanne Pierce. Thanks to Shapraz Kaba for joining the podcast. And to all of you for listening, visit annstevenson.ca for more information about how you can help build our communities stronger, smarter, together. <laughs>